0: Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God today. We're going to have a special guest on later, Coach Dave Duyn Meyer uh, who is a pretty outspoken uh, fellow who's probably gotten into a lot of trouble uh, over the years with his outspokenness. He's an author for News, news with a news. Uh, which you can find him on our webpage. We have a link to him. All those of you who get the Kingdom News and are on the uh, network uh, have gotten notices this week of how to see what the coach talks about. Um, and we'll be talking with him as soon as he can come on. Uh, he said he was going to be a little bit delayed, can get on right away, but he'll be coming on shortly, hopefully, if everything works right. We've got storms in the Midwest, which our show is coming out of Oregon and then over to Wisconsin and then back to California to get out to you. So we're depending on a lot of little uh, switches in between, and hopefully we won't have any inter- interruptions. But uh, we'll be working to get back to you if we are cut off. So, uh, But a couple of other things that I was uh, looking at on um, this day in history, which is always a good place to start because I can always take that and turn it back to uh, kingdom information. And uh, that is in 1521, Martin Luther was banned by the Edict of Worms because of his religious beliefs and writings. Uh, he was, that you think like, well, so he was banned from the, Roman Church. Well, the Roman Church had a tremendous amount of power at that point in time, 1521. It had been crowning kings over men, and those kings had been uh, protecting the church, doing the church's bidding. Uh, Without that relationship between church and state, there could have been no real inquisition. Uh, There could have been no real crusade. There could have been none of the millions upon millions upon millions of people who died. Uh, That wasn't going on for centuries and centuries, but there was a huge turn in what people believed was the purpose of the church. And the church became this authoritarian, uh, autocratic ruler that actually had men out crowned as king, collecting taxes to support the church, which became this vast, rich landholder. Now, there was a real church going on at that time, but they don't get any press. The The history of them has been pretty much squelched out, although we get bits and pieces for those of us who actually go out and do some real homework, that there was another spirit, another intent of those people following Christ, really following Christ, trying to find out who really was this man, Christ, what was he really saying, what was his instructions all about. And that, of course, is what we talk about a great deal here. So the Edict of Worms would probably also ban us as well, but that's okay. Um, On this day in history, also in 1805, Napoleon Bonaparte was crowned the King of Italy, and I'll bet you the Church was there at that crowning. There was one time when Napoleon just put the crown on his own head, but the Bishop was there uh, to crown him. And there was a lot of interaction between the Roman Church and Napoleon uh, seeking national reconciliation between the revolutionaries and Catholics. The Concordat of 1801 was signed on the 15th of July. Uh, 1801, between Napoleon and Pope Pius VII, it, uh, solidified, uh, the Roman Catholic Church as the majority church of France and brought back most of its civil status. No, the church even having civil status. You know, Jesus said, you want, we want to be like the governments of other nations who exercise authority one over the other and we want to be crowning men kings over each other but raising every man up to a level where he was king in his own house in his own capital. he was a free man under god alone with no other gods between him and the god of heaven this is what monotheism that's been a, a conversation that has gone on uh which we'll have to have a show of what are this monotheism because actually, in the Bible, Paul says there are God's many. So that's not monotheism. But what's he talking about? And of course, we write lots of articles about that, and we'll talk about that later. But I just would point out those few things in history how this mixing of church and state in an unhealthy way, uh, where the church begins to lose its real purpose and motivation its directives of Christ and become something other than what Christ said it should be. And we have a number of different directions the church has gone in. It's been this autocratic, authoritarian church, but now it's become this weak, (laughs) uh, mamby-pamby, in hand uh, church that doesn't preach the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. They have a watered-down version of who Jesus was. Jesus was controversial. Jesus was bucking the system. He was calling us to do something completely different. And I don't hear modern churches telling us what that is, but you hear it here on Keys to the Kingdom. And we're going to find out today with Coach uh, Dave as to what exactly... Uh, his opinion of what the church should be doing as well as what the people should be doing and you know, I've read a few of his articles over the years and he's outspoken I don't know we'll agree on everything but that part of the point of having these gifts on is iron sharpens iron uh, we had uh, Clint Richards on a couple weeks ago Richardson on a couple weeks ago and he's done a lot of his homework and he learned from being on the show, and I think some of you learned from him being on the show and We hope you get more out of today's show just the same so uh, I've got Paul on the line still, and Paul's watching the boards for when the coach can come on. He's joined and us he has joined us so, At anyways, least so.
1: Are you there, coach? I am here, and I apologize. I've been fighting a monster cold. You know, they say that summer colds are the worst ones to get, and I had one jump on me a couple of days ago. Man, oh, man. So if I, if I get into the hacks or I sound a little bit horsey, I apologize to you.
0: Okay. Well, he's a little bit faint. I don't know if we can do anything about the volume, but I can hear him. I hope everybody out there can hear him, and we'll hear from the people in the chat room if they can't. <laughs> We'll just do our best with what we've got. Uh, I've, I was saying that I've read your articles on uh, news reviews over the years. I've read them all. Uh, I'm, I'm just as busy as everybody else should be. <laughs> and, but I've always found them somewhat of interest uh, to what we talk about here a lot. And uh, I was just going through a list of them uh, on your archive page. I was clicking on a number of them, and I saw today's pastors are lip service pastors. Uh, we often refer to them as ear ticklers. And uh, what's your opinion on today's pastors today? Uh, that well, that I don't, was written. Go well, ahead.
1: I don't think there's any any doubt there. Really. First of all, thank you for the opportunity to be on with me, if I'm hard to hear, I'm going to be. I'm, I'm on my cell phone. I'll be home here in about five minutes. I could jump on the landline if, if, if we have a hearing issue. So, just let me know. I'd be glad to do that. I do a radio program as well. I just finished mine up, so I'm I'm on my way home now. Uh, the issue is, uh, you know, judgment begins first in the house of God, and I think that uh, as a guy who's really kind of studied the culture, you know, originally I got sued by the American Civil Liberties Union back in nineteen. 19- 97 while uh, coaching my football team in london ohio and that's really what uh, began to open my eyes to exactly what was going on in the culture up until that point i was radically born again in 1987 10 years previous to that but other than that i was you know christianity was an add-on for me man just something to make my life better bigger house bigger car and lord, lord died on that cross and he just wanted to bless me and just make me the happiest old cowpoke that ever came down the highway and, When I got sued by the ACLU in 1997, I certainly saw a different side of Christianity and the battle of the seat of the serpent against the seat of the woman and this battle that the Lord talks about in Ephesians 5 that we had to put on our form of God to be able to engage in became real to me. And it's been my uh, experience over the last 10, 12 years that I've been really on the front lines of uh, what we all call the cultural war to, to come to the realization that most of our pastors, they don't have any idea what's going on. They don't have any idea what Christianity is all about. They don't understand the kingdom and kingdom principles. And we think that Jesus died on the cross just to come and make our lives a little bit easier. And it's been my experience that uh, Jesus died on the cross, and he told us to come follow him and pick up our own cross and follow after him daily. And uh, the, idea, the truth of the matter is everybody wants to follow Jesus until they figure out where he's gone.
0: He's going to a cross, and you're asking us to pick up our own all, and follow after him. Right. Uh, this is one of the things. Uh, Jesus did not die that we might have something to do on Sunday morning. Uh, he died that we might be saved, and he put all kinds of conditions on it. People said, well, I, I'm forgiven because Jesus died. Well, Jesus said, forgive so that you may be forgiven and also said that if you don't forgive, neither will you be forgiven. And that was just one aspect of the kingdom, is this forgiving nature. But also, he talked about the weightier matters. And I've told this story many times, uh, and I'll share it with you, is I was in a room full of pastors, and I asked them what Jesus listed as the weightier matters, and they could not name one of them. And uh, this was a whole room full. I mean, it was a... was it probably a couple hundred years of pastoring there in that room, <laughs> and they couldn't name one of them finally one of them came up with one of them, but I had talked to him just a week before about and gave him the whole list, and he could only remember one, but it was law, judgment, mercy, and faith, and they didn't they didn't know that, and you have evidently had to deal with the law right away with the a c l u uh so anyway, yes. Uh, You've done a lot since then, uh, and you've probably rethought your view of Christianity from the beginning. So I'm just going to give you the floor and let you talk about it a little bit more, uh, and we'll see it's where might it goes be dangerous. from there. This might, might be
1: dangerous, Greg. Uh, it's funny that you would say that. Well, I just did my own way. Am, am I coming across okay now? Am I getting clear? clear?
0: Uh, you're still a little faint. Uh, in my earphone, but
1: okay. Well, I, I'm a coach, so I do the best I can. I just, uh, I just completed my own radio show about uh, about 15, 16 minutes ago. And my whole, uh, my whole radio program today was on Matthew 13, I believe it was, where where Jesus, uh, Matthew 7, Jesus says that everyone who sends to the Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom. He makes it very, very clear. But not everybody who claims to be a Christian is a Christian. In fact, if you look to where he talks about the parable of the sower, we understand very specifically that if we read that scripture, clearly 75% of them, Gregory, are saints, you know, fell on the stony ground, some fell among the, some on, the, on the, along the wayside, some of the wood fell into the thorns, but there was a 25% or some of it that fell on the good ground and, and, and bore much fruit. But I really believe that the the issue that we're dealing with in America today is that most people, 75% maybe, sitting in the pews are not bond servants of Christ. They are not born-again, saved Christians. Now, they may have walked their aisle, they may have said a prayer, and they may have come to Jesus, and they may have asked Jesus into their heart. But they've never had what I would call a, they have a head understanding, but they don't have a heart understanding of what that means. And when Jesus died on the cross, the scripture tells us this, that I am crucified with Christ. Yet nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by the grace of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. So to come to Jesus, to accept Christ, to be born again of the Spirit of God, requires a dying to self. And that's not the message that we hear in the churches. And that's most Christians, I believe, uh, Gregory, could not explain that process to you. That greater love has no man than this, that he would die. He would lay down his life for his sins. Now, we think about that here on Memorial Day weekend to think about the. On this weekend we memorialize those who paid the greatest cost of all, who did in fact show the greatest measure of love and laid down their lives, and we honor them and we respect them, but we do not honor and respect and memorialize the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ every day. Every day is Memorial Day with the gospel. That's why Jesus said that you have to take up your cross and follow him daily. We have to die to our sinful wishes, to our fleshly desires, and to that great unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. And that was the, that was when I, speaking about my own personal life, that's when I began to live. When I got sued by the American Civil Liberties Union, and I had to go through that battle, when I saw friends desert me and pastors call me uh, unruly and and, 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 uh, and uh, disobedient to the law, and when I went through all that stuff and found out that really and truly Jesus was a friend who sticketh closer than a brother, not because he wanted to bail me out of a mess, but because I was his bond servant, carrying that cross and fighting for him in the culture and the deeper i got into that the scripture says the more they persecuted them the more they prosper and grew it was at that point uh, gregory when i had to make a decision was i going to die to myself was i willing to lay it all down as he said to the, to the rich young servant go and sell all that you have have we all really reached that point now the truth of the matter is i still have a house and i still have a car and I still have a lawn mower to mow my grass, and we still eat food. But I believe the Lord knows I'm willing to lay all of that stuff down, that he now sits on the throne of my life. And I believe until we come to that point, we are not really servants of the living God.
0: Yeah, and when I see the, the trend, you talk about culture, the trend uh, the government is steered by it, the culture that we create. Uh, we create the government out of that cultural relationship that we have with government and with each other. Uh, and I see it going down a road of socialism, where socialism is based on selfishness and coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of government. I see that we're all going to face that question. Uh, many people are, are avoiding that question through looking to the government to provide everything for them, and that's not what Christ was saying to do. And that's certainly not what Moses was saying to do. And that kind of thing brings us back into bondage again, and not to Christ, but to the world. Now, so I believe the
1: greatest lie perpetrated upon the church in my lifetime. Now, that's, I say that's a mouthful to say, but one of the greatest lies has been that lie of the separation between the church and the state, which really all that lie did was gave Christians the authority to not obey the Lord anymore. And so we saw the government, as they told us, listen, uh, you take your religion, and we're going to let you practice your religion, but you keep it inside the walls of your church. There are two things that you don't talk about. You don't talk about religion and politics. You keep it personal. You go into your prayer closet and you pray, but don't bring that gospel out into the streets. Don't bring it into our schools. Don't bring it into the government. You keep your little Jesus in his little box inside your church, and everything is going to be okay. Of course, when we allowed them to do that, that I can I can I can trace it right throughout history, and and especially in the government, we let them in 1960, I believe, or 1961, take a, a Bible out of the schools in 1963, they took prayer out of the schools in 1973, they they. Uh, uh, they legalized the killing of unborn children in 1980, Stone versus Graham, It's took the Ten Commandments off of the wall, and just continue right on down the course. And the whole thing has happened because Justice Hugo Black resurrected that that uh, letter from a, a personal letter from Thomas Jefferson saying that there was a wall of separation between the church and the state. Now, we know there is a separation between the church and the state, but it's a one-way wall. That the church has no authority in the affairs of... I'm sorry, if the state has no authority in the affairs of the church, but certainly the church is responsible for the affairs of the state. So what happened to Christians were the Supreme Court said, okay, it's okay uh, it's okay to kill a baby. It's okay. And so what the church say? well, I don't think it's okay, but, you know, there's a separation between the church and the state, and if that's what the state says. We're under, under Caesar, that right, which is Caesar. we under, under God, that right, which is God. And it has been just one thing after another after another, and I love it tell people to ask themselves this one simple question. When you legalize something, do you get more of it or less of it? If you legalize drug use, do you get more or do you get less? If you legalize divorce, get more of it or you get less? If you legalize abortion, you get more of it or you get less. And the reality of it is it's all happened because the church has bought into the lie that they have no authority or influence in the ways of government.
0: I think when they use the word separation of church and state. That they're actually saying separation of morality and our power. Uh, and I think it, it, it actually, you know, I agree that those are major turning points in, uh, in the history of what's going on in America, but the reality is, is I think we've been turning the wrong way even long before that when we started looking to the state to provide us with all these social welfare benefits, which go way back to even public schools. Uh, why should I be have the power through the state to force my neighbor to educate my children uh, by sending them to his house and taking threatening to take his house away from them if he doesn't support me enough? I think back to the Founding Fathers, you know, most of the education was done by people creating schools and supporting them themselves through voluntary uh, uh, you know, uh, prescription and and subscriptions to schools. They created schools through uh, foundations and through uh, their own efforts. They created libraries that way. It wasn't done through taxation. It It was this coming together as a people through free will offerings that made this nation really great, and we have steadily edged away from that for the last 150 years. And in the last 50 years, we've been on a freight train away from individual funding of what we call our social welfare. Church used to be the entire social welfare of the people. It doesn't do any of that now.
1: Whose whose responsibility is that, Brother Gregory? The responsibility lies with the purpose. I have a commentary that I wrote there on my website, which I think is one of the most powerful one that the Lord ever allowed me to write, and it's entitled, In the Pulpits Were Silence. Even today, the pulpits are silent. It is hard to believe that that Christian pastors standing in their pulpits cannot see the poison that the government schools have become. But about one in 50 will speak out against it, because why? Too many people are employed by the government schools. They have aides and cooks and bus drivers and teachers and and, and you know everybody loves this football team and everybody loves the band and the choir and, and and it is the the one area that our children, the children of Almighty God, are being stolen from us. What did He say? Train up a child in the way that He should go, and when he gets old, he will not depart from it. When we have turned. We have turned the training of our children over to non Christians. And that's part of the reason that we are so lost as a nation today.
0: Yeah, we're going to end up going to a break here in about 30 seconds. It'll give you a chance to rest for a second because I can tell that that cold is wearing on you. But we'll be back uh, right after this short break. Uh, I change phones,
1: okay?
0: Okay.
2: fight the fight we are here to equip you let our motto be don't tread on me Liberty Radio live.com
3: what year is it the year of the Lord God the Pope 2012 according to the Vatican's Gregorian calendar or 5940 since creation according to the Bible did you know that the Creator put a clear chronology from the creation in his word? It is widely accepted that the millennial reign of Christ will be the Sabbath or seventh millennium from the creation. If this thesis holds true, then this clear chronology becomes very important. Is the seventh millennium imminent? Will there be a rapture escape, Or is it about 60 years off? See the clear evidence for yourself in the booklet, What Year Is It? We will send you the Greatest Prophecy DVD, the booklet, What Year Is It?, and a copy of Richard Bennett's groundbreaking work, The Inquisition, for a mere $5 shipping and handling cost. Any donation above that amount is appreciated. Send your $5 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, T-U-L-A-R-E, Tulare Avenue in Tulare, California, 93274. Again, send your cash support donation to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, California, 93274. Or see the shopping page at firstamendmentradio.com to send a check or money order we are grateful to the almighty for your support the greatest prophecy dvd now listen to me the bible says render unto caesar that which is caesar's i want you to know that a corporation is caesar government takeover of the church this dvd is the most powerful tool we have
2: Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773.
0: Just as we may be on since we don't have any background to tell us okay well anyway if there's anybody in the chat room can you hear us speaking because <laughs> we're back on keys of the kingdom we were disconnected there and we hope we're back and we don't have a feed yet to know whether we are back um so let us know in the chat room. Can you hear us? And uh, I guess, are you monitoring the chat room, Paul?
4: I am. Yep, Brother Mark okay. says, I hear you. So we're good.
0: Okay, so we're back. Okay. A little technical difficulty, but we're back in the saddle again. And uh, we're talking with a mild-mannered, uh, timid fellow, uh, called <laughs> Coach <laughs> Dave. And anybody who listened to the first half hour knows that's sarcasm. Um we were talking, uh, the last thing we were talking about is that uh, uh, the preachers in the pulpit are, are letting uh, us down. They're letting Christ down because they're not really preaching the message of Christ. They've watered it down to some kind of a sideshow, in my opinion. I actually heard just the other day that there's a preacher who's appeared at the White House. I don't know exactly what they were trying to think of the name, and they didn't, they didn't while we were in conversation. Uh, he says that Jesus Christ was a socialist, and, uh, and I've heard this a number of times where people say that Jesus Christ was a socialist. And I said, well, in, in a manner of speaking, but not with a gun, a socialist comes and voices. He said that Jesus was a socialist because uh, he made wine and gave it away. Well, that's not what a socialist does. A socialist makes you give him the wine that you made because he was too lazy to make it for himself. And that's not what Christ was doing. Uh, Charity in socialism aren't the same thing. (laughs) Socialism is enforced with a gun, and it's the prelude to communism and the totalitarian state that has killed millions and millions of people. And it seems to be the way that a lot of the Christian Preachers are actually preaching, and those that aren't preaching are silent about it. But you cannot be a socialist and a Christian at the same time, in my opinion. What do you think, Coach? I think I think the
1: same thing, Gregory. But i uh, part of my dog's barking in the background. She never barks. So <laughs> what's going on? Uh, here's here's what I believe. Again, I think it's a misinterpretation or a misunderstanding of what the church and the government is all supposed to be about. And when when the uh, when the 501c3 church came into came into existence, we all know this. Whether well, maybe we don't all know this, but uh, We've all, many of us, have come to the realization that it's a partnership now with the government. And what happened back in 1933, 34, 35, 36, along in those areas when the 501c3 first really started to take impact, we saw at the same time the growth of the social security system and government welfare programs. And what began to happen is the, the, the responsibility of the church would have, had always been to. To to clothe the the poor, feed the poor, to take care of the needy was a responsibility the church had always been. That was the genesis of the Salvation Army. William Booth out there uh, trying to throw a nickel on the drum, save another drunken bum. We remember all that song. Well, when when this whole idea of the corporate church came into, came into play, the church, in my opinion, gladly handed over its Christian responsibility to take care of the needy. They handed that over to the government. And when they handed that over to the government, and the welfare programs became into place, and the government seized that opportunity to begin to establish itself as God. And the church... Knowing that these welfare programs and knowing that the feeding of the poor and all that was a very expensive proposition, was glad to hand that off to the government. So when they handed that off to the government, that left more money for pastors' salaries and top and plasma TVs and padded pews. And as a result, the real meaning of Christianity was somewhere lost. In the shuffle. Now, here's what I know, uh, Gregory, from my own experience. The word tells us that it's better to give than it is to receive. And what that means is this if you need 20 bucks, and I give you 20 bucks, me personally, I come and hand it to you and look you in the eye and shake your hand and tell you I love you and this is for me because I care for you, there is an immediate uh, dynamic that occurs between you and I. You are grateful that I gave it, and I am blessed that you received it. And when we stopped doing that, we lost the blessing of giving and we handed it over to the to the government, and the government became the intermediary. So they take my money, They give it to the government, and the government doles it out, and there is no connection between me, the giver, and the poor person who's the receiver. And because there is not that connection, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is no spiritual connection, so it just becomes a government handout. And we all know that the nature of man is to covet, is to want something without having to work for it, so when the church willingly gave those jobs over to the government, it was at that point the government began to seize more and more authority from the church, because the church at that point, to be perfectly honest about it, didn't want some of those responsibilities back. They didn't really want those bills of having to feed those poor people. And it was a lot easier for the government to tax the rest of us to be able to take care of them. That, it, in my mind, that's drew of American socialism.
0: It drew a different kind of preacher into the church, and the preachers that we used to have back in the, before that, in the 20s, and back in the 1800s, and certainly the 1700s, disappeared, Uh, and we've got a different kind of preacher altogether, a different kind of Christianity. I write an article about uh, the Eucharist of Christ, uh, and the word Eucharist in uh, the Greek means thanksgiving, and really the way it, Translates, it's thankful for the opportunity to give. In the early church in 150 AD, they gathered together and they said those that had shared with those that did not have enough. And this was during the time of major depressions and recessions throughout the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was disintegrating because they had taken the silver out of the Roman silver denarii and they had runaway inflation. They had to implement forced price control. All this was going on during early Christianity, and the Christians were actually thriving during this period because they didn't go and get the free bread of Rome. They were their own social welfare. Even religion, pure religion, is defined is taking care of the widows and orphans, the needy of their society, and they specifically say, unspotted by the world, And that's the word in the Greek that means constitutional, I'm using fairs, constitutional order or system of government. There's five different words that are translated into world. That one means government. They were, Christians were taking care of their needs without the use of the government. They were doing it through faith, hope, and charity. That's the way the church was in 1776. That's the way it was in the 1800s. But it isn't the way it is anymore today. The government has become the religion of the people. That's where they pray to take care of their needs. And the church has become impotent by that process, in my opinion. what do you think about
1: that? but part of it, Gregory, is the fact, as as I stated earlier, if I come to you and you need some money and I give you $20 and there's an immediate connection between you and I over that $20, I may give you $20 next week. And I might even give you $20 the next week. But at some point, with this connection we've made, I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, Hey, Brother Gregory, is there any way that I can help you earn your own $20? That connection that one man makes to another, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens the countenance of his brother. And so the giving through a church from Christian to Christian had that dynamic that was part of it. Now, here's what's happened. Let me me share this story. Sometimes we... uh, we go to a ministry in the Columbus, Ohio area, often, not often, but every once in a while, to the, to the homeless, to the needy. And we were down there doing that one uh, about six months ago, I think it was. And we were handing out bread and food and all that, and some lady drove by, and she pulled her car over and got out, and she came up to me, and she said, What, what, are, you, what are you guys doing? I said, Well, we're the church, and we're, we're giving to the needy. We're feeding the needy. And she says, Oh, my goodness, that's remarkable, let me go tell my pastor, maybe our church can give some money. And see, there's the problem, Gregory. She didn't think to reach into her own pocket and give $20. She felt like she had already paid her dues to her church. And because she had paid her monthly dues to her church, therefore there must be some money at her church that she could go coerce the pastor into giving to us to help feed. And so, again, the connection by giving to the church or by giving to the government, I'm not against giving to the church, but the the idea of the tithe, I believe, the way that it's practiced today is nothing more than paying dues in the minds of most people. It makes them irresponsible in the needs of others and those, those that are around them. And, again, it comes back to the spiritual one-on-one connection that the giver gets from the receiver when we uh, do that most simple act of giving.
0: Yeah, one of the things that we've we've written about is that the early church was based on ten families coming together and literally picking a minister. you find historically, if you go throughout, uh, even before Christ, uh, the Israelites were doing this originally. Ten families would gather, and they would pick a minister, and then ten of those ministers would pick a minister, and that was the pattern that they used. That pattern was the most predominant form of Christianity for the first 800, 900, almost 1,000 years of Christianity after Christ. You can find it in Germany and Italy and France and certainly in England. They call them tithing men. And they took care of the needs, but it was very personal. You've only got 10, 10 men, elders of families, coming together, picking a minister. And that minister was responsible to make sure that widows and orphans in that ten-man group were taken care of. But he was also connected with nine other groups like himself. And if there was a need that was greater, like a fire came through or a flood came through, he was connected with thousands of men, elders of families. And, And through that network, they would all come to the aid of this one group that was overwhelmed by whatever tragedy it was. And this is the way people govern themselves for centuries throughout Europe and were very successful in doing this. You wouldn't know this from going to public school anymore. Some of this history is coming out now in in books here and there, but it's not real popular in the social school systems we have today. But that's the way the church should really be operating. And to bring back the point I think you were kind of making there is that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not uh, homosexuality. That was the evidence of the sin. The real sin, as listed in the Bible, was in a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor, and now the historical record is coming out that Sodom was actually became more and more a socialist state. They had a way of taking care of the poor that weakened the poor. And this casting your bread upon the waters, in other words, giving that 20 bucks in hopes that someday this guy... Can come back and give you twenty bucks if you need it. You know whatever it is that you need. Maybe you don't need twenty bucks. Maybe you just need somebody to help you. Um, is what it's all about. This is this is true charity. And to just give them twenty bucks, even just to go out and have food lines where you're just giving away food to the same drug addicts every week or lazy people every week, uh, is weakening the poor. And like you say, we got to say, can we do something to get you out of Skid Row? This principle of the kingdom, this Eucharist of giving and teaching others to give, because that's what strengthens society—is this this uh, discretionary giving, this righteousness? One kingdom. of
1: the one of the byproducts of that. One of the real dangers that I see in America today is, that for the most part, Brother G- Gregory, most people don't have any idea how to how to live out their faith. i was just reading today in James on my own radio show that faith without works is dead. I mean, it's very, very clear. If you see somebody in need and you don't give them to them, you don't have faith. If you say be warm, be filled, be on your way, uh, that, that's not faith. That's not faith. And what's happened to us because of the way that the, uh, uh, the, the whole idea of tithing and the way that whole thing has gone and the government and all that, it has, it has produced in America what I consider a new Modern-day phenomenon, which is the professional Christian, the guy who makes his living by the tithes and offerings of others. Now, we all know that the Scripture says that the workman is worthy of his wages. Well, I understand that, but what has happened is when we now that we have the pastorate set up the way that it is, with the 501c3 and the corporate and the corporate atmosphere in the church, the average Christian does not feel an obligation to help anybody because they pay the professionals to do that. They pay their pastor to do that. They pay their youth minister to do that. They pay their ministry of worship to do that. They pay others, the professional Christians. And it's, a, it's like the same thing here. In my I have, a, I have a nice size yard, and when we get off the radio here, I'm going to have to go mow it. Now, I could... Pay some lawn care company to come and do it. But you know what? There's something that happens inside of me when I go out and mow it myself and I gotta pull those weeds out of the ground. I don't hire the professional lawn service. I am the lawn service. And I believe that's the, that's the whole idea that the Lord had in tending the garden. But because of the way the structure is now set up, we all go to church, we all pay our dues, and we expect the professionals to be the ones who do the
0: ministry work right the the pastors have become corporate leaders are uh, leaders of a corporation, and corporation is again this big this big uh, body, uh, you know, we're, we're firm advocates of not filing a 1023 with the IRS and becoming what they call a 501c3. We have uh, whole yes, books out showing you how to organize your church so that you're not incorporated either to the Commerce Department, you're not making the IRS the bishop of your church, that you're actually remaining a free church. And, but we also are trying. Not we're not just trying to unconform to the world. We're trying to conform to what Christ was originally doing, and we know the church was the entire social welfare of the early Christians. But it was very personal. Those ten elders knew their pastor on a, you know first name basis. they they they, they gathered. That's it. It wasn't a 500 man congregation with one pastor up there in the pulpit.
1: No uh, preaching to right. him
0: for an hour and a half, they right. knew if they found out that they tied to him to take care of the needy of their ten families, they knew if he didn't show up and do it, and uh, they they fired him. It was bottom up self government is what right. the early church was, and this is why they were persecuted, is they were a threat to the big top down authoritarian government because Jesus said statement. I. Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, you know, Jesus has said you're not to be like the princes of the Gentiles, to be exactly. other government. That's exactly right. Are, uh, you aren't to exercise authority. In other words, you still have the job of feeding the poor and feeding the needy of your society, but you got to do it through faith, hope, and charity and what Paul calls the perfect law of liberty. you exactly. got to actually... When you give your twenty bucks to that pastor, you want to make sure you see where that goes. The responsibility is still back in the hands of those ten elders. If they pick a pastor who's an ear tickler, they're the ones who are screwing up. You yeah. know, I do blame it on pastors because I'm a, I'm kind of a pastor preacher myself. But it's really the people. It always goes back to the people. You pick those pastors. You pick those. Government agents, uh, you picked, you made those covenants. You applied to the wrong place. Uh, you were willing to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Paul even says it, quoting David, Old Testament: "What should have been for your welfare has become a snare, and that snare is one that weakens the poor, because you, you've given up your responsibility." So I'm, I'm, I'm right down the alley with you on this. I think uh that I, you I see have it lived to take out, that I, responsibility back
1: i see it lived out practically uh brother gregory and one of the things that i've been trying to do over the last few months is i've tried to start these what i call spiritual boot camps for men called right, let's the salt. Fly. We just try to uh, to help men understand again what their moral spiritual christian obligation is and you know there's a There's an awakening going on in the heart of of men. They know something is really, really wrong at church. They know something is really wrong in society. Something is very wrong in the culture, and they're not sure what it is, but they know something needs to be done. Now, what's happened to us is because we put into positions of power men who are corporate managers, not really Christian leaders, there's a difference and those two things. And I'm sure that you know exactly what I'm talking about. Absolutely Corporate agree. managers are guys who are up there to make sure that everything moves, uh, operates smoothly. A real leader, I'm a football coach, Brother Gregory. I'm a leader of men, I'm a leader of young men. I'm the guy who orders a blitz, and I'm the guy who orders the the pass on the fourth and one. I'm the guy that decides whether it's time to punt or whether it's time to grunt. I'm the guy that makes the hard decision, and the hard decision a lot of times ruffles the feathers not only of the players but of those who are there observing the game. And there's a difference between a coach who does that kind of thing, who is a risk taker and a leader of men, and a guy who is a manager. And a guy who is a manager In the football world, I can promise you this, will not last very long because men in particular want to be challenged. They want to be inspired. They want to do the edgy thing. And we have guys standing in our pulpits who don't want to do the edgy things. They're all interested in the status quo and butts and bucks and making sure that nobody rocks the boat. And because nobody's rocking the boat, the boat's going over the the waterfalls.
0: Yeah, Christ was a boat rocker. There's no two ways about it. He was challenging people. He was challenging uh, uh, everybody, as well as the church of that day, which is often labeled as the Pharisee. It wasn't just the Pharisees, Sadducees, and others. Uh, he was also challenging the government, just like uh, uh, John the Baptist was. Most people don't know what was really going on at that time, because our preachers are as dumbed down as the congregations they want to serve. But their way of serving is really a cookbook. It's weakened the society so much that we're not prepared for the hard times that we're creating to our relationship, our cultural relationship with government and the church. But... uh, Anyway, uh... one, of the first, one of the first sessions
1: that I do with, at our boot camps is a session called You Serve the God You See. And I take him to Matthew 16:13, where Jesus is standing at the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And he says to his disciples, Who do men say that I am? You know what they answered, don't you, Brother Gregory? They said, Why, well, you're John the Baptist. Some say you're John the Baptist, or some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah, and I asked them in, can somebody help me here? How could they possibly have confused Jesus with John the Baptist? This this locust eating wild and crazy guy. How could they possibly have confused those two? Well the truth of the matter is that is Jesus was.
0: Yeah, the uh yeah i think our image of john the baptist is not always as accurate as it uh, should be as well as our image of uh the was. but we're going to take another break and then we'll be back i hope you'll be around for the second hour and we'll give you a little longer break uh, at this terminal uh, we'll be back in New kingdom in a moment <laughs>
2: If you read the history books, the most often asked question to southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the
1: South.
3: Was it the Civil War or War of Federal Aggression? John Weaver sets the record straight in this DVD series on the Civil War from the old Paths Christian history conference. Was there a war to set the slaves free?
4: I pledge allegiance to the King of Kings, and to His Kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. One holy nation, and a heavenly Father, great mercy, justice for all.
0: Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, I'm Brother Gregory. Uh, We have a guest today, but a few announcements before we get back to uh, some of the conversational topics uh, that we've been bringing up is that uh, we have the uh, Bernie Bush Festival. Uh, It's our fall festival out here in Oregon. There will be people coming from as far away as New York and Texas and Iowa and wherever uh, i can't even think of all the places we're putting together a website of course if you join the living network we'll keep you up to date if you join the kingdom newsletter we'll keep you up to date and all that can be done at his and so go there and join up and we'll keep you abreast of what's happening and uh, there's people organizing convoys and and uh, carpools to get people here because it's a long ways to go for some people. But uh, we're going to be making this uh, event bigger and bigger each year now, and we're putting a lot of effort into it. And so if you're interested in coming or being a part or speaking, let us know. And uh, now's the time to start getting organized. Um, We were talking about who Christ was, who John the Baptist was, Just to bring uh, Coach Dave up to speed on some of the things that we write about here, we point out that at the time that John the Baptist went out to the desert, because he actually was raised in town originally, he was born there, his father was big in the church of that day, worked in the temple, actually was high priest, evidently, uh, for a time, and uh, uh, fell out of favor because something else was going on in Judea, and it was started actually by the but really got rolling under Herod, which he had this grand scheme of a social welfare system like that that Rome was becoming, and that Rome had their system of Corban, which was their social welfare system, Q-O-R-B-A-N, and uh, Israel had its system of Corban, which was always free will offerings, but Herod had this great idea that he would sign people up in a registry, they would get a new Hebrew name written down by their scribes in the registry, and they would have to pay in, and they would be eligible for social welfare benefits through the temples and the synagogues, which were government buildings, and that's how they would get their social welfare. If they, But if part of that signing up included a ritual of baptism, which was... Instead of the laver, they were baptizing people all over into the system all over the Roman Empire. And John the Baptist was out in the desert baptizing people, and they asked him how his system worked. And he said, if you got two coats and your neighbor has none, share. That's the way his system worked, as opposed to Herod. And I believe it was the conflict between these two systems that really brought a lot of the intrigue around John the Baptist and Jesus Christ because anybody who got the baptism of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ eventually we see this in John 10 was cast out of the welfare system of Herod and the Pharisees and the the whole thing with the blind man and his parents was talking about this. So today we have that same option but the church There is no John the Baptist offering a system of social welfare based on faith, hope, and charity, managed locally by small groups of people connected to a network, except for maybe us. I think there are some other people that are starting this. But with that in mind, let's go back to the question uh, when they were asking who Jesus was. And uh, I always remember that eventually Peter comes up with an answer. (laughs) <laughs> that yeah. Jesus blesses them for. <laughs> but uh, do you have any other comments on that?
1: Yeah, Martin, uh, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, in fact, uh, maybe didn't understand it to the depth that you just shared it with me, but my point was this, that when they when they asked Jesus, or I'm sorry, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am, they didn't respond and say, well, you're Joel Osteen or you're... Mr. Rogers or your Mother Teresa. They didn't paint they him. They didn't say that you're just, Jesus, they just think you're the nicest, sweetest, old sugary boy that ever came down the highway. But the reaction to the people in the communities that saw him was that he represented John the Baptist and Elijah and Jeremiah. As we know, all three of those guys who were people who spoke truth to power. And what's happened to us in the church today is we acquiesce to government power. We think because, I believe, in this teaching of Romans 13, that the best thing we can do, the greatest form of citizenship that we can ever show, is to follow ungodly government. And i like to go to Romans 13 and point out to folks that Romans 13 was written by a Christian, to Christians, for Christians. It had nothing to do with Caesar and Rome. It was a system apart from itself, and that those people that God put in positions of power were ministers of God to you for good, which is exactly the opposite of what we see in our government today. See, it's never changed, Brother Gregory. It's the seed of the serpent against the seed of the woman. Those two systems are in conflict and have been in conflict. But unfortunately, those of us who should understand it and those of us who should be able to recognize how the systems operate have become so much a part of the system of the seed of the serpent that we can't even recognize it for what it is. So
0: one of the things that Peter points out uh is that to covetousness they shall make merchandise of you. And of course, I think that's part of the same thing where Paul's talking about uh what should have been for your welfare uh, has become a snare. And what we because we've coveted our neighbor's goods through this socialistic approach to government where it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, a seed that was planted in this country wasn't originally here very much. I mean, there's always been some people around that wanted that, but it was really void in America. I mean, the early colonies were starving both in Jamestown and, and up there at Plymouth until they both simultaneously without consulting each other came to a conclusion that we weren't going to run a communist colony you were going each according to his ability and in other words what you earn what you produce is yours and they said immediately and I've got a book coming out about that they said immediately starvation ended in both colonies simultaneously with no other new idea other than you earn it, it's yours. And that didn't mean that there two things took place. One is you knew that you had to produce or starve, and so that was a little built-in self-motivation there. And the other thing was is that people who did produce somewhat overproduced and it didn't mean that everybody produced enough, because there would still be failures. There would still be crop failures. People would still get robbed, maybe by Indians or somebody. But the point is, is that those that didn't have enough would be helped out by the others, and it would create relationships and bonds in society that were completely distinct from those that die on the vine in a socialist state. And that's what's weakening America. We tell people, people always talking to us, we write a lot about government, uh, God's government, and men's government from Nimrod to, to today, and show the parallels. But if you want your rights back, which are in, you were endowed with by God, and you should want them back, you're going to have to take back your responsibilities. You're going to have to start taking care of each other. And I believe that's what Moses was saying way back in Egypt. They were still paying their tally of bricks, but they were gleaning in the field at night for their straw, which were metaphors for your benefit. They were t- filling each other's water v- vases, uh, according to Philo. They were taking care of each other, and they had to learn that to survive as free men. We don't know that in America anymore. We've lost that skill. And we need to get back to it, and the churches should be leading the way. But instead, they're sending people to sleep. Oh, anyway. well, well,
1: you know, it's, it's amazing. One of the things that uh, I've been I've been personally kind of chuckling about in my own in my own life as I watch around all over the media now is this idea of there's a war on religion. There's a war on religion, and now the Catholic Church is rising up and saying, Oh, no, no, you can't make us. You can't make us give out uh, border facings. You can't make us give out birth controls, screaming and hollering. When Brother Gregory, they yielded that power years and years and years ago to the government. And why all of a sudden they're now screaming and ho- hollering about it is almost comical to me, because clearly. Clearly, they have been bowing their knee to government for quite some time. And uh, we have right now, I hear people say, I'm sick and tired of the government stealing our rights. And I said, What are you talking about? The government <laughs> can't steal oh, your rights. You still have your rights. You're just not willing to pay the price to exercise those rights. What was it Jesus said when he stood before Pilate? He says, You have no power over me unless it had been given to you from on high letter gregory the government has no power over us unless we yield that power to them now what people don't want to deal with is the consequences that comes with telling the government you don't have that power over me ultimately just like my own children i cannot make them obey i can make it miserable for them so that eventually they might obey, but I can't make them obey. And it's the same relationship between the government and our religious freedoms.
0: Yeah, it's funny, that's a, that's a speech I've given to my kids. My kids are all home taught. I've actually never attended public school uh, myself, uh, so I come from a different background than a lot of people. But the, the reality is I tell my kids, I can't make you do right but I can make it danged uncomfortable for you (laughs) if you do wrong. That's right. (laughs) That's our job. And the fact is that's built into the system. We just don't feel it right away. We don't feel the sting of our sloth. Uh, The proverb says the slothful shall be under tribute. Uh, And back to Peter again. uh, To covetousness they will make merchandise of it. You put it in modern terms. To your desire for benefits at the expense of your neighbor, you shall be turned into human resources. That's and right. You'll end up with a human resource department. You need to take your responsibilities back, or the system that God put in place, not the governmental system, but the system that God put in place, will. Rise up, these tyrants, in your midst, because you're sitting back doing nothing. And you will go under tribute. You will go back under bondage. And you will not have access to your rights. You'll go into debt. You'll become weak as a people. And so we just simply say all you have to do is start taking back your responsibilities. Let's go to your past the Salt uh, uh, website, uh, which is actually PS... Uh, I forgot what it is. I don't have it. I just got a coach. Co- co- <laughs> coach Dave Live
1: takes him to the exact same place. CoachDaveLive.com. dot com. It's actually PT Salt, but Coach oh, Dave Live. Salt, yeah. Yep. Okay. Coach Dave Live. Because the ministry's is past the salt. Matthew five verse thirteen. You, the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its favor, it's henceforth good for nothing except to be cast out and trodden under the foot of an, uh, man. And I gave it that name, uh, Gregory, about fifteen years ago when I started it because. With the salt of the earth, and I tell people we got to pass it on, man. It's it's not about accumulating salt. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be passing it on.
0: Right. And, uh, so anyway, you actually put on seminars here and there, and I guess they can find out the schedule of those. Do uh, you go other places, or do people go come to you? How does that work?
1: We do both. We do both, and, uh, We've had, we hold them locally, but we also go. I've been to North Carolina, I've been to the state of Maine, going to go to Missouri later on. So you, yeah, we take in two people, and we say, I don't care how many, I don't care how many people you have, we'll, we'll come and we'll, we'll do it. We'll try to raise up some men who understand the times in which they live and know what it is that Israel needs to do, same as it was with the men of car. We don't charge a fee. We come for a love offering, and uh, we've had a, we've had a lot of uh, we've made a lot of impact with it, and I look forward to doing more of them all around the nation. Men in particular, brother Gregory. So men in particular,
0: to to we need website. Christian men. We need Christian men so badly in America. Right, right. We need. Uh, we don't have hardly have men anymore. We seem to only have males most for the most part. Uh, uh, and it, you know, this is a, this is the natural resource of our society that has been depleted, and you just don't get that back overnight. Uh, one,
1: of those, one of those commentaries I wrote, there, Brother Gregory says they don't even look like men, and that's the truth. We're, we're metrosexuals, we got we got men with with poofed up hair and tight skinny jeans on. Oh, they don't they don't even look like men. Where are the John Waynes and the and the James Garners? Where Where is that type of man in America today? You can't even find them.
0: Yeah, that the uh, I always look at uh, what happened on this day in history before I start the show. I talked a little bit about that earlier. Uh, before you came on, but uh, this happens to be John Wayne's birthday today. So. Is
1: that right? <laughs> but, yeah. So uh, he was a man, you know, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, he I, I don't agree with everything that he came to a conclusion, but at least he, you know, he was he said what he said and he did what he did. You know, he was an outspoken person. He didn't mess around, uh, and he had a message that you saw in uh, the characters that he played. That was actually. Uh, uh, you don't see a lot of, in today's uh, movie-making or entertainment, you know, the, the the role models that you have in the modern show. I even, mean, I even look, look at
1: the, one of those funny pictures that I saw on the Internet. It was a picture of Ronald Reagan riding a horse with a cowboy hat on and Barack Obama riding a bicycle with a helmet on. And I thought, my goodness, there it is. In 30 years, what's happened to the American Mail?
0: Well, you know, it's amazing that, you know, I've watched uh, the political uh, stage, and I see, you know, I, I'm amazed at the people who are for the different candidates. I actually remember, uh, you know, I I, uh, I you know, I don't advocate any candidate. I advocate morality uh, and let the chips fall where they may but <laughs> I noticed you had an article in here. I guess the forerunners now for the presidency are Romney, uh, supposedly, on the Republican side because the media just kind of blacked out uh, Ron Paul, uh, right. although he gets a tremendous amount of support from people, and then Barack Obama, as if Romney can defeat Ron uh, uh, Obama. But uh I really don't see a great deal of difference between the two in my opinion. And I that you had an article about uh Romney, uh and I was looking for it and I can't find it, but okay. it's okay yeah, religion.
1: I'm not a i am uh, not I try to make it very clear to people that I'm not a Republican. I'm I'm i not drank I've not drank a Kool Aid and and uh I, I see a real, real spiritual significance to the to the election that we're entering into, Brother Gregory. And I bring it up, and people, their eyes blaze over, and they don't see it. But I talk about the spiritual significance of the election that we now see, which really and truly, if we want to be honest, is an election between a a Muslim and a Mormon, neither of which is a servant of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And people, we're so blind that we look at Mitt Romney, a Mormon, now, Gregory, uh, out there in Oregon, you, you have more Mormons out there than we have here in, in Ohio. But we know that for a long, long time, they did not consider themselves Christians. They were not mainstream Christians. They're not Christians. They don't. They they have the Bible and the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price. They have other books that they have. They don't consider Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. They. Uh, we all know that. And so, the the truth of the matter is. Christians, evangelical, God-fearing, Jesus-loving Christians, supposedly, are now, now flocking, falling all over themselves to support a candidate for President of the United States who denies the deity of Jesus Christ. To me, that is a very, very dangerous position that we find ourselves in, probably No position like that in the history of America. Because when Barack Obama ran for president of the United States four years ago, he ran as a Christian. Now, we know he's not. We know he's not a Christian, but at least he ran as one. Mitt Romney is not running as a Christian. He is running as a Mormon. And I try to get people to understand, say, my goodness, if Mitt Romney is elected president of the United States, Christian America will have validated Mormonism in the eyes of the world. And there will be many, many people who will slip into Mormonism because they will have decided that they want to check out this new religion that Mitt Romney follows. So I see it to be spiritually deadly, the idea that Mitt Romney can be President of the United States. Uh, I don't know how many people agree with me. Brother Gregory, but I'm more afraid of God than I trust in Mitt Romney. I'm more afraid of the Lord. He's a jealous God, and for the first time in American history, we are going to put into the White House Christians are going to put into a white into the White House a man who openly denies the deity of Jesus Christ.
0: Well, I, you know, with the article I, I pulled it up. It's it's uh, actually it was back in 2011, but it romney's record not his religion and this is you know i would like to see the christians slip into christianity uh because i don't think they're in christianity now and that's why you have somebody like i said i don't believe you can be a socialist in other words somebody who covets their neighbor's goods through the agency of government and be a christian yet uh obama whether he was uh a Muslim or not, and I, I it does appear that he is certainly a Muslim. Uh, even Adolf Hitler uh, admired the Muslim faith, and uh, according to some, wanted to become a Muslim. And according to others, did become a Muslim. Um, but uh, it, it, the record should tell you, are they following Christ's principles? Disregard what they say. And you almost have to when you're dealing with po- politicians, because they never... Just look at what they do, what they back, and what they support. And they're not supporting what Christ did. But the, one of the back to the real problem is Christians don't know who Christ was. I mean, they talk about him being the deity, uh, you know, the Son of God. But they, you know, it's kind of like my son when he was studying George Washington. I asked him that he was just uh, about seven, or eight, and he read these little tiny booklets on. Uh, George Washington. I said, well, who was George Washington? And he said, oh, he, he was the president, he was a general, he, he married Martha, he had wooden teeth. And I realized that's not who he was. Mm-hmm. Who he was was what he believed and what he, what he thought in his mind and how he acted and, and those things. And I began to read what George actually wrote instead of what historians said about him. And I realized that I never knew who he was and what he thought. And how he thought, and what he was—you know—he was you know, a man like anybody else. He had some ideas that were not right, and there were some ideas that were. But he had—he was searching a moral uh, character of Christ in one way or another, uh, at least for part of his life, and coming to conclusions. When I look at the people I see as the top candidates today in America, I see them as morally bankrupt. And I think that that's why they're getting elected, is because the people in America are morally bankrupt. And the church should be the first ones calling them out on that. And But the church, the ministers, are morally bankrupt. So it's, it's really refreshing to hear somebody like you talking about this morality of our society, this, this cultural we, morality.
1: One of the things they've done to us, uh, Gregory, is they have blended, they have co-opted Christianity and called it conservatism. And so now Christians believe that conservatives are Christians, and they're not the same thing. I have a, I have a commentary I read, wrote it maybe six years ago, entitled "Pretend Salt," and that's that's what we see. We have pretend salt. They call themselves conservative, and we think they believe like us, but they don't. They don't believe like us. us. I'm a Christian. I'm not a conservative. I was at, had an opportunity about a month ago, uh, six weeks ago now probably, I was, at a, I was speaking alongside uh, Alan Keyes. I'm sure you know who Dr. Alan Keyes is. And yes. he and I had a chance to sit down at a table, and I've known Alan on and off for, for a few years. And I said, hey, Alan. This is when Rick Santorum was really making a big push. And I said, Alan, uh, what do you think, man? What's going on here with Santorum? And uh, who do you see as a guy who's been in those, in those circles? And only Dr. Keyes can do. He's so good at just simplifying the, the complex. He just scratched his beard and he says, Well, coach, scriptures tell us that a, a, an, an evil tree cannot give forth good fruit. He said, the Republican Party's evil. It's evil. And he said, I don't care which one of those people you nominate, it is not good fruit. And I thought, boy, oh, boy, that is really what it is, isn't it? And so what we do, what does the Scripture say, Brother Gregory? Some men trust in horses, some men trust in chariots, And we will trust in the name of the Lord. And the sad thing is, Christians don't trust in the name of the Lord anymore. They trust in horses, and they trust in chariots. And what's that old nursery rhyme? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. and All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And the problem was, the men had tried to put Humpty Dumpty back together. They called for the They didn't. They called for the king's horses and the king's men. The king's horses and king's men couldn't do anything about it. They had to call for the king. And we won't call for the king anymore. We won't invite the Lord and his precepts back into our lives and into our government. And until we do that, we're going to get Romney and McCain and Obama and Hillary and any numbers of
0: false saviors that are going to try to rescue us from this mess that we've basically put ourselves in which takes me, takes us back to what I was saying is that if you want your rights back, you want your country back, you have to take back your responsibilities. It's, it's, people talk about grassroots. It's up to us to do this, not up to us to get somebody else elected. Uh, the Christians were out trying to get different Caesars elected. They were out there doing the job of being the government of themselves to governing themselves according to what the name of Christ, the way of Christ. Actually, what that's what Christianity was originally called, was the way. Right. and Which takes me back to uh, a thought that you brought up at the beginning of this was, uh, you know, uh, when well, you're talking about the seeds that were sown and 75% <laughs> seemed to uh, be lost, but the uh, ones that finally did root and grow up, they produced, you know, ten times more, and of course that was a question that the the apostles brought to Jesus: Are many saved or are the few? And of course, Jesus, as he often did, didn't really answer the question. He uh, he just said strive. And modern Christians say, "Oh, you don't have to strive. There's nothing you have to do. Just believe." And uh, uh-huh. I think that is one of the uh, most damning heresies, if you want to use the word, I usually stray away from that word, since I often called a heretic myself, but uh, that we must strive. We must put forth effort. Like you say, p- pick up our, our cross, the cross that God has given us. Uh, the, it's a job. Christianity's a job. It's not just it a belief. The Apostle Paul said
1: what? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But the great root, we, we do wrestle, don't we? He didn't say you don't wrestle. He said you wrestle not against flesh and blood. And that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but there are weapons. It is a war. There is a requirement for us to engage. In, and this idea that uh, we can just uh, sit back and let it all just play out, however, I suppose there's some truth to that. But my, the Bible tells me to occupy until he returns. Now, brother, occupation is more than just sitting in a chair. Sometimes people come and try to take that chair away from you. And Isaiah 9, verse 6 says, Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Gregory, this gospel thing, this kingdom is supposed to be expanding. And most Christians are acting like it's falling apart and hang on to the very end.
0: Yeah, they, uh, they don't realize that the, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's within our reach. We have to become the shoulders of Christ by bringing Christ into our lives in a meaningful way, not just for an hour or two on Sunday, but every single day of the week. Well, we're going the kingdom of to go to God is within place. us. It's within we're, us. We'll, we'll, we'll be right back, so we'll finish this uh, up in the last half hour of the show.
2: Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com. The program you are listening to is 100% sponsored by you, the listener, on this First Amendment Rights Media channel. You will notice that there are few commercials on this radio network. There's a good reason for that If you believe in any of these, we ask you to support them as you would a missionary on a continual basis, as if giving a tithe for Missionary Radio. These programs are not commercially viable and must be supported by those faithful to the cause of truth. Look for the button to sponsor your favorite programs at our listen and schedule pages on the Internet. Then, when you subscribe, we will send you the last quarterly MP3 CD of that program immediately and continue to do so with each new quarter. We will also give you unlimited archive access to all of our programs. We're asking you to give much less than a tithe so that you may also send support directly to a particular program host, cause, and anywhere else the Spirit may lead you you all to the glory of our God and Creator, for His holy nation, the only kingdom that will last forever. Thank you for listening.
3: Now listen to me. The Bible says, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar's. Government Takeover of the Church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD, Government Takeover of the Church. Who will tell them, if not you?
2: Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Now listen to me.
0: we're talking with Coach David Obenmeyer who is an author of At News Reviews. He also has PastTheSalt.com. He gives seminars and he goes around and he's a rather outspoken Christian activist and we were interrupted by the commercial and we had been talking about uh, one of the things that uh, is I think very essential You know, people don't understand Paul very well but Paul has long lists in several of his uh, uh, letters about things that you can do that will keep you from inheriting the kingdom. And they sound like lists of the Ten Commandments and a a list of uh, selfish things that society uh, is very pervasive in society. But he finally says in Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Paul was a doer. Christians should be doers. We know that you are maybe saved by faith, but what is faith without works? So uh, we were cut off a little bit there. Did you have comment that you wanted to make? Uh, yeah, Gregory. The, the scripture Jesus told us
1: um when he just get, he's getting ready to leave, and he said it's expedient that I go away. He said, "Listen, as long as I'm here, I'm just with you." And if I'm with you, I'm with you, and we can walk out together and we can hang out together. But he said, It's believe me, it's expedient that I go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send another. I'm going to send a comforter. And he that was with you shall be in you. That gives me goosebumps to even talk about that, Brother Gregory. And he said, the Spirit, the kingdom of God is within you. We have the ability here and now to access and walk in Kingdom principles. The Kingdom principles are directly opposite to this worldly Kingdom. To get, you have to give. To go up, you have to go down. To live, you have to die. It's a whole different set of principles by which Jesus has taught us to live. He said what? It is finished. For this purpose was the Son of Man manifest, that he would annihilate or destroy the works of the devil. He hung on the cross, and he said, it's done. It's finished. There's a new sheriff in town. And unfortunately, too many Christians never get beyond the thought of heaven. And heaven's a great thought, don't get me wrong. But we can enter into those kingdom principles now where we can walk above our problems and walk above the earthly desires and walk... uh, that he has empowered us, there is no temptation that's come upon you but that which is common to man, and God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can withstand, but with the temptation, he will send you a way out. And one of the greatest mistakes we make in America today is we sell people on heaven, but we don't sell them on the towers available now through these kingdom principles that the Lord himself will put in us.
0: Absolutely. Uh, The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are two phrases that you find in the Bible. The kingdom of heaven is only found in Matthew. Uh, And it's uh, evidently, because Matthew was originally probably written in Aramaic, at least it appears to have been, and in the translation that becomes... uh, what they had in the Aramaic becomes kingdom, or or Basilius Oranos in the Greek, which we translate kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of heaven, uh, that word heaven uh, in the Greek actually means the sky around us and everything within it. It's actually most Greek scholars say it should be best translated kingdom of the world. We're to be manifesting the characteristics of Christ in us and I can't we cannot't do that without the spirit of Christ living in us because we're we're fleshly creatures and we will follow the flesh if there isn't we cannot't save ourselves it must be that spirit living in us but in order for that spirit to dwell in us we have to conform to Christ <laughs> and what I see Christians or ministers doing, is saying you don't really have to conform to Christ. You just think you conform to Christ, or think that you believe in Christ. You—it it is about doing, not those who say, "Lord, Lord," but those who do it the will of the Father. So yeah, he said that be... there would
1: be many, many. I don't know what that means. Out in Oregon, here in Ohio, many means many. That there would be many in that day that said, "Lord, Lord," didn't we? Cast out demons, and lay hands on the sick, and see them recovered. Didn't we pay our tithe? Didn't we do all these great things from you, Lord? And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. We asked the wrong question, Brother Gregory. We asked people, do they know the Lord? Well, that's like asking them if they know Barack Obama. Of course they know the Lord. Everybody knows the Lord. That's not the question. The question is, does he know you? Because he said, in that day, I'm going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And it's that intimate knowledge of him and his will and his way that I believe that we only get from the Holy Spirit. And that's why we have so much religion that we're dealing with is because Christianity is not real in the life of uh, of really most, most people who go to church.
0: Right. Yeah, the the idea of knowing we have that all words have multiple definitions a common theme here because we are always talking about you know how you know translators or traders and 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 interpreters uh, often lead us the wrong way because we don't know the meaning of words. But uh, when Adam knew his wife, he didn't just get introduced to her because they ended up producing children. That knowing meant an interpersonal relationship, a real relationship. Now, I know a lot of people claim, and that was the topic at the beginning of the show that, uh, that you brought up, that a lot of people claim that they have accepted Jesus or they have received Jesus, but they're not bearing the fruits of Jesus. They're not bearing the fruits of his kingdom, his way. And, you know, to point that out to people, to question their faith, so to speak, is really the job of the ministers. But ministers are tickling their ears saying, oh, yes, we're all saved here because we all come to my church. But that's one of the reasons why we don't call it my church here. <laughs> we call it his church. And we're not saying we've got a corner on the market. We're not trying to start another church or another religion. We're just a group of people all across the country and in other countries that are trying to conform to Christ. In order to conform to Christ, we got to find and find out who he was. And we expect the fruits of Christ to be manifested if we really are. The fruits of the modern church are manifesting something completely different, something far from what Christ was preaching. And so we're just trying to get back to that original deal and having gifts like you on who are outspoken and I think on this same journey, I think we have many things that we agree on, uh, and hope to maybe have you on again sometime. <laughs> but I'd love, uh, I'd love to be and, able
1: to do it, and, and it's because see, we we are. Oh, uh, I wish I could just go on and on, uh, Brother Gregory. I, I want people to know right up front. I'm not a I'm not a theologian, and I I I yield to you because I just underst- I understand just from the short conversation we've had here that you're depth of understanding of the Scriptures is probably deeper than what mine is in in many ways. But the reality of it is the Lord didn't really make this thing all that complicated. Now, there are some hidden mysteries. We understand that. But he made it through the power of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit would guide us into all truth. It is not that complicated. And Jesus warned us that we would... uh, Teach for commandments the doctrines of men and make the word of God of none effect. And unfortunately, that's so much of what Christianity has become in America.
0: Right, and and I don't want this to reduce to name-calling. You're not calling me a theologian, are you?
1: <laughs> no, no, but I can, I can say that uh,
0: you could probably teach many of
1: the guys who stand in the pulpit and claim to be one. How about that?
0: Well, yeah, I, I, I do on a regular basis, but they don't always like to hear what I have to say. But, uh, <laughs> I had a guy, uh, contact me and he wanted to know if, uh, he qualified to be a minister of one of his churches. And I said, well, I don't know. He, I want to know what the qualifications were. He said, well, you have to love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. And you have to love your neighbor as yourself. But that's kind of the qualifications as far as I'm concerned. And he said, uh, well, I have a theological degree. And I said, well, now you got me worried.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, yeah, that's
1: right. Uh, it that's isn't, it is simple. Goodness.
0: It is really <laughs> simple. And it, it comes, that's why Christ reduced Ten Commandments down to two. Uh, yep. He didn't do away with the Ten Commandments. He just said, look, if you're doing this, you're going to be keeping those others. And I pointed out on an earlier show this morning that... Uh, You can actually find all the Ten Commandments in a a group of laws that were considered precepts in Egypt, in the religion of Egypt, in the philosophy of Egypt. It stems way back to ancient times. And you'll see almost word for word exactly out of the Ten Commandments that there were 42 of them. And if you reduce them all down, you know, it's thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not... Uh, murder, you know, but then they added, thou shalt not even hurt and thou shalt not damage and thou shalt not take his property so they ended up with 42 but you can put it all down into those 10 but you can put all those 10 down into 2 it's the same Moses, Abraham Jesus Christ, John the Baptist Jeremiah, they're all preaching the same gospel we just have interpreters that make us think that somehow or other the message changed Christ needed yeah, that message.
1: But Jesus told again, us it was an issue of the heart, didn't he, uh, brother Gregory? Yeah. He said was an issue of heart. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if the Lord can get a hold of your heart all those commandments, so they'll just naturally fall in line. He said if, you know you, if, you, if this is all about following rules and regulations, brother we're all going to fall short of that, but let it be a heart issue, and let it let yourself have the heart of the Lord and the mind of Christ be like David who's with a heart after God, and the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. It is as i said it's it's simple in so many ways, yet so deep, but the reality of it is the precepts and principles of Christianity are not that hard to follow. Now, the rules and regulations, you want to start throwing the law and all that stuff in there, yeah, that can get kind of dicey. But...
0: uh, Yeah, yeah, if you're you're looking at the Ten Commandments, uh, they're really, actually, even the word, uh, the Ten Commandments says, it's almost like ten guideposts. It's to tell you if I'm killing people, if I'm aborting 50,000 babies, if I'm paying for that, if I'm... uh, you know, murdering people, if I'm stealing, if I'm coveting my neighbor's goods, that's evidence that I don't really love God. And I better take a look at my heart and find out why I'm doing these things. Uh, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, and I think that if you do love them, you, it it won't be an issue of the commandments. Both in Jeremiah and Hebrews, it says, I will write my laws upon their hearts and upon their minds. And I shall be to them a God. The law okay. written so on the be heart. to me, my people.
1: Same thing it says okay. in Romans one, right? It's plainly evident. It's, he's made it plainly evident. And and in fact, some of these things we have to work not to get it right. It's like I was joking with somebody the other day. You know, somebody said something about the president of the United States. I said, listen, man, I, I, how can I vote for this guy? He can't even get sex right. He doesn't. He doesn't even understand that sex is between a man and a woman if he can't get something as simple as that right how can I entrust him with the deeper things of, of the country and, and that's, that's the rea- reality of it see but see what we've done is I love to uh, jokingly tell everybody that uh, we think uh, Jesus got born again in in the New Testament the God used to be an old mean old crotchety grouch and then in the New Testament he found Jesus and he got born again and now he's this real nice guy and he's not mean anymore and see, we don't, have a ba- we don't have a balanced opinion of how the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the fulfillment of the law, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and that, that now we can walk in those precepts according to the law that is now written on our hearts.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, I, actually, in, in uh, John 14:23, Jesus himself says, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Right. And so then you you will forgive. It, it, the the law as Paul talks about the law when he talks about the ten commandments he talks about it several different laws uh, and we explain that on our audios and stuff on on Paul people don't understand Paul uh, but uh, which is why they have a lot of problems <laughs> with this but anyway uh, it, those commandments haven't changed. Uh, but we don't go to read them in a book and then try to keep them. We have them written on our hearts because we conform to Christ, because we yes. really accept Christ. Yes. And then, you know, I'm not tempted to go out and kill people.
4: <laughs> no <laughs> I, me I'm not either.
0: tempted to steal. Uh, I could be, I suppose, but it's really not a problem because, you know, I'm at peace with that. Uh, but see that's one of the, that's one of the evidences
1: Romans one It's one of the evidences of the judgment of God when the judgment of God comes upon a people it's his first judgment I believe is abandonment. It talks about Romans one that he gave them over, and it's an abandonment and so much of what we see in in America is god has has given us over an abandonment to people they don't even they don't even have it in their minds anymore. They've rejected the truth so much that Jesus just kind of, God just washes his hands and says, okay, man, if that's the way you're going to be, you're going to do what you want to do anyway, which is the first judgment of God. And if God loves you or my own children, I continually try to bring my children back in line because I love them. I tell them if I reach the point where I don't say something, you better be concerned. That means I'm not, I don't love you anymore. And so that's, that's where we are in American Christianity. God has given us over, and we are following after strange gods and strange doctrines. And to think, Brother Gregory, that anyone, anyone could think that God would bless a homosexual union, those people have to be, they have to be nuts. They just plain have to be nuts.
0: <laughs> yeah, a, well, you know, it tells in the Bible uh, that uh, people will be given over to this unnatural affection. That's why I said the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't sodomy and uh, homosexuality. That was evidence of the sin. That is the product. That is the symptom of the sin. That's where you're going to go if you reject God in the ways of God. You're going to end up in those kinds of deals. And, you know, I, I'm astounded where people think that, oh, well, I'm just born this way. And I tell you, I point out that almost everybody who believes that uh, that uh, they're just born homosexual, uh, they also believe in evolution. Yeah. Well, if evolution was true, the homosexual gene would have died out centuries ago. <laughs> Because it wouldn't have reproduced itself.
1: That's exactly right. They don't want to go there, though. See, some, sometimes those who
0: want to hide behind science are the most illogical of all, aren't they? Oh, yeah. And I never. Uh, I can never follow the logic of a man who tries to prove or disprove God by logic. Uh, it's self-evident. And that actually was the theme of the entire show uh, before this show, the, the blog talk that we do a half hour before this show starts our warm-up show was that uh, you know even the people who try to reason out, you know, prove that God exists or prove this or prove that, uh, you logic depends on faith in the facts that you're going to use are true and that you have enough of them to come to these conclusions. And so it's but it's faith itself it's not faith in God, and That's right. the product of that is the society we have today. Uh, the, the culture that is destroying this nation and the whole world is now. I mean, we've never been on a precipice so great, worldwide precipice so great, as we are today. I mean, these are challenging times. and, and we reject- great, yeah, rejected the
1: pens. truth. We rejected the truth, Gregory. Because yeah. we have rejected the truth. If you don't stand on truth, what does it say in was it, is in Thessalonians where God himself would send a strong delusion that they would believe a lie because they rejected truth right. and it's the same thing it talks about in hosea chap, chapter four my people were destroyed for lack of knowledge, and because they have rejected truth, I will reject their children it's not it's uh, it's not that uh, maybe uh, God is punishing us so much is that we've just rejected the truth, and it's a natural consequence of where you go when you steer away from what, uh, what you know to be the truth.
0: Yeah, even when Samuel 8, where they pick Saul as king, you know, he allows them to do that, because they didn't have any kings, any, central, any executive authority in their country uh, for hundreds of years, and now all of a sudden they want it because they want to be like the other nations. And he calls that a rejection of God. The voice of the people electing somebody to rule over them was a rejection of God. And he tells them the whole long list of what's going to happen, all of which has happened in the world today in almost every government. And then he says, And then they will cry out in that day, and I will not hear them. Why? Because you wouldn't hear him. He's not going to hear you. You're not knowing each other, you're not communicating. And what people want to do is hold up logic and reason and, and the tree of knowledge as if we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and all that's going to do is create the greatest fall in the history of mankind. But I, I want to leave with a message of hope because there are men waking up
4: all across oh, yeah. the
0: nation. And it doesn't have to be a majority because we're not – kingdom of God is not a democracy. Uh, it Me and God – rules. <laughs> if I'm with God and accept him as my ruler in my heart and my mind. And so but those people who are waking up do need to connect and do well, need I, to network.
1: I, I said this, Brother Gregory, from a from a football coaching standpoint, that scripture of uh Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people who are called by my name I always use that with our football guys. I said, Listen, those of us in this locker room, those guys on our team, if we just play the way we've been taught. If we don't fumble and we don't throw interceptions and we don't argue amongst ourselves and if we don't uh, miss tackles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their own wicked ways, just the guys on my team, he says, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. It's the power to correction in America has always lied in the hands of God's people. Now, the question is, will we arise, accept the challenge, grab the mantle, and run forward with it? And uh, and I want to do it, and I know you want to do it, and I'm looking to connect with other like-minded brothers who want to do the same thing.
0: Uh, so why don't you give some information again uh, before we run up to the last minute and uh about how people can get a hold of you or connect with you, and uh, and we'll do that before we get into the last few seconds of the show. Wow. I don't know if there's and been I... any callers. That there there hasn't been any callers. That we always say that if the chat room is quiet, we're doing a good job because they're paying attention. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's,
1: that's right. Well, it doesn't matter anyway whether even one or two are hearing or If they're, if, uh, if we are uh, lifting up the Lord, that's really all it's required. They can find everything that they need to know about me as coach live dot com. I do I do some radio as well, and I'm going to return the favor and have you on because it's been a it's been a good uh, a good couple hours. Coach DaveLive. dot com. I do a little radio show every every Saturday morning from nine to eleven Eastern time uh, out of uh, out of uh, Rushville, Ohio, and out of uh, Delta, Utah. We have an affiliate out there that carries this as well. So just like like you, brother, I'm just putting my hand to the plow and I'm not looking back, and I just say it all. All my Christian brothers, you plow your row, and I'll plow mine, and I'll see you at the end of the field
0: right <laughs> we we'll, we'll need a few leaders from time to time,
1: <laughs> oh, we need those more than anything don't we we really we really really we really yeah, need some leaders and uh uh when there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. that's sort of where we are today, isn't it,
0: yeah, uh. And the thing is, those people that are starting to wake up need to connect, and I think that's really important. I'm not telling people to leave their churches. That's one of our prerequisites. Uh, you may be the only one who's beginning to wake up. You need to stay in your church until they kick you out, at least. <laughs> and, uh, and be Keep that light. Keep elbowing life.
1: the guy beside you. That's what I say. Keep elbowing that guy beside you and wake him up, too. You yeah. can't do it without all of us.
0: Yeah, and... Uh, so anyway, it has actually been fun. Uh, we've just started having guests on a regular basis, uh, but uh, we haven't struck out once yet with any of our guests. And so maybe sometime in the future we'll we'll have you back on, and we'd love to do your show anytime you want. and just set it up with uh, anybody that I think uh, Jarvis was the one who contacted you originally. But there you, you can email us direct or anything and we'll be glad to do that. But uh
1: I'll have to get you up early, yeah. though, Gregory. We start at 9 o'clock Eastern time, so that's probably well, that's about 6 a.m. for you out there.
2: <laughs>
1: that
0: ain't early. I was uh, up a couple hours before that. Well, that's good be here. <laughs> okay. Get up a cup and you'll be all right. Okay. Well, we only got a few seconds left before the end of the show, and so anyway, we've had uh, Coach Dave, here, uh, talking. We'll eventually archive this show. And, uh, we want to thank him. Thanks, Paul, for being here. And God, God bless everybody until we meet again.
4: Thanks, Dave.